0: You're listening to the Birth Matters Podcast, episode two.
1: It's like NASA has dropped you off on Mars with the most expensive piece of equipment ever developed and no instruction book. And as they're lifting off and you know flying away, leaving you there, somebody just waves and says, you'll be fine.
0: On today's episode, my husband, Brian, and I are going to share our first baby's birth story. It's a story of giving birth in an in-hospital birthing center in Manhattan at Mount Sinai West. You'll hear about a textbook-length 20-plus-hour labor with the expert labor support of a doula, and you'll hear about the game-changer self-advocacy tips and strategies that we used, and you can use too, to avoid interventions that were strategically avoidable and rendered unnecessary. These strategies helped us achieve what I very much had hoped for, which is an unmedicated vaginal birth. One of the things I'm hoping to do on this podcast is help expectant parents get a sense of the birth environment and options here in New York. I'm recording this episode in 2019, in a year when hospitals are making choices to close the only in-hospital birthing centers that exist in all of New York City, sadly. It's very disappointing and frustrating that expectant parents' choices for birth settings are shrinking when there is plenty of demand for such a birth setting. The birthing center you'll hear about, unfortunately, closed in January of this year. The future of the only remaining in-hospital birthing center, which is just one room at Weill Cornell's lower Manhattan location, is questionable. There's one freestanding birthing center in our whole city, and that's Brooklyn Birthing Center. The last thing I want to mention today is that I love to laugh. Please bear with me in some of the first few episodes as I'm new to this and need to learn how to stay quiet and may eventually just need to mute myself while the other person is talking. Also, I record these in my home, which is near LaGuardia Airport, so you might sometimes hear soft sounds of airplanes. So you can just imagine yourself at an airport going on a baby moon getaway to somewhere fun as you listen. Before we jump into the story, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Birth Matters NYC's childbirth education classes. If you live in the New York City area, the best way to build your confidence and prep for an amazing birth and entry into parenthood and to connect with other expectant parents to build your very important support system is to attend group childbirth education classes. You'll spend quality time with your labor support partner in our comfy Astoria living room classroom as you prepare for not only birth, but also for your best possible postpartum recovery and wellness, as well as early parenting with classes on breastfeeding and newborn care techniques. Classes often book up about one to two months in advance, so be sure to grab your spot on the early side. For more information and to sign up, visit birthmattersnyc.com. Okay, without further ado, let's jump in. Hey, Brian Taylor. How are you doing today?
1: Oh, hello. I I thought I was going to be introduced. I'm I'm fine. How are you?
0: (laughs) We're new to this. Uh, So uh, we're going to get started by sharing our first birth story in this first episode. And it's been a long time, right? Way back in.
1: Since we experienced birth? Yes. <laughs> and since our first one, yes.
0: Yeah, way back in 2005. So we both have been studying our birth story notes and trying to access our memories And it will not be as detailed as the written version, which you can find wherever this is posted in the show notes. But we are just going to visit the past and recollect a little bit of our journey into parenthood the first time around. And then the next episode, we will go into our second one. So why don't we just start a little bit by talking about the pregnancy itself and our journey through that. So in pregnancy, I at first didn't know about the possibility and the benefits of seeking out midwifery care. It did come onto my radar and I don't actually remember exactly how that came onto my radar but I just as many people do in the U.S. I just by default thought oh I need to seek out an OB. So I asked friends and a number of my friends recommended this one practice Dr. Ree, as well as her colleagues and just said she's fantastic and I knew that she delivered in the birthing center, which sadly closed in early 2019, but back in 2005 was thriving and open. And I knew that I wanted a a setting that was home-like and that was conducive to what I was hoping for, which was an unmedicated birth. And so that was how we chose our care provider.
1: Was that the only birthing center in New York City at the time?
0: To my knowledge, it was the only in-hospital birthing center. And for me, in my first pregnancy, I liked the idea of the security of knowing that medical interventions and help in the case, hopefully unlikely event of an emergency, was really close, was really nearby.
1: We were both on that page.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for me, I just... I needed that security, not having gone through birth before and not knowing how my my body would handle labor. I did have a good level of confidence because my mother had given birth without pain medications twice, first time completely unmedicated, second time an induction without pain medications. And I, um, I found a lot of confidence in that, but I still kind of wanted to see how my body did with that security of being in that hospital environment, yet having the home-like birthing center which in this facility, the way it used to be was that the birthing center was on, I think, floor 11. And then upstairs, one floor up was labor and delivery. And so it was kind of separate, but close proximity.
1: And you hadn't at this point in your life, have we said the year? We're talking about 2005. Mm -hmm. And at that point in your life, you hadn't really been around a lot of birth other than horse birds.
0: Yeah, right, right, right. I grew up on a horse ranch, yeah, and saw lots of horse births, and there are some likenesses, but, but really going to birth class was the first time that I saw a human birth. How about you?
1: Same for me. I hadn't been, I mean, the closest I'd been to a birth was, you know, after uh, the big event, you know, walking in and seeing my niece, but no, I'd never, I'd never witnessed one. I had seen one video in uh, middle school, of a birth. At least you got
0: that. I got none of that in school. Yeah,
1: that was burned into my brain. You know, but it was... Forever, forever burned. (laughs) And it was not what would be considered a a particularly natural birth. I mean, it was, you know, in a hospital setting with all the hospital equipment and all the hospital personnel all around. And so that was the image that I had in my mind of this is what a birth is. So I, I think that contributed to my desire to, like you're saying, to be close enough to a hospital environment or within a hospital environment so that that just felt more comforting to me and that actually felt more normal to me.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't
1: mm-hmm. want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but when, when we took the birthing class and we heard that our teacher, Emily, gave birth at home and caught her own baby <laughs> in her home,
0: mm-hmm.
1: my jaw was on the floor and, and I, I, <laughs> I thought that's amazing and that's admirable i cannot ever see that happen
0: <laughs> little to did you know yeah, yeah. sneak peek into the next birth story mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so did you i don't think i've ever asked you this what did you think of the fact that i really wanted to have an epidural free or a drug-free birth did you have any opinions on that or did you just keep them to yourself
1: I think having gone through graduate school for acting and doing a lot of body work and just becoming a lot more aware of the body's potential and and also just being exposed through theater to a lot of different people who have, you know, a broad range of approaches to taking care of one's body and medicine and um, living a healthy lifestyle and what that entails and I think that broadened the the range of what I was willing to explore, and I wanted to support you in what you felt comfortable with, knowing that, you know, you were going to be doing the work, and I I wanted it to be something that you felt good about.
0: Mm, You're awesome. (laughs) So then, what do we want to talk about next? Maybe... Birth class. And, and actually, I want to mention a friend that we worked with. We worked at a corporate investment firm in New York City at the time together in the evenings. And we worked with a lot of creative types. And one of our friends, one of our co-workers, had given birth not long before we were going to. And she gave me two golden pieces of advice. She said, here, read this book, Ina May's Guide to Childbirth. And at the time, once I kind of like, read a little bit about it. I was a little hesitant because at the time I was far less crunchy granola woo woo than I am now. And I was kind of like, Oh, this seems awfully crunchy. I don't know. But then once I read it, I was like, Oh my gosh, everyone should read this. Um, That was one golden piece of advice. The other one was that she said, girl, just free yourself to be as loud as you need to be to cope well in labor. And um, oh, and I should say three golden pieces of advice because the the thing that brought her to mind was that she was the person who recommended Emily Shapiro's Bradley Birth Class. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a quasi Bradley Birth Class. It wasn't fully gung ho Bradley, but it was it was largely that, right? It wasn't as long as a normal Bradley series, mm-hmm. but it was. Still longer than most birth classes are. So all those pieces of advice, I'm always so grateful to her for. I need to thank her again. Every few years, I think I I reach out to her and say, Mm. thank you so much. So birth class, what were your thoughts on birth class? What was that like for you?
1: I, mm, hmm. Hmm.
0: While you're thinking about that, I'm going to say it was uh, held in a Soho play gym, and really big space, but with no chairs. And so she had these backjack chairs, also known as meditation chairs. They're like these metal frames and you're sitting on the ground with a very thin pillow. And I think everybody balked at it at first, but then by the end, we, were, we all got used to it and it was really quite comfortable. I actually kind of dug it and wanted to own some. Now I do, because I have classes and have <laughs> those as a, a seating option for my students.
1: I remember being enthusiastic about the class because we had heard such good things about it, because it came so highly recommended. And you were looking forward to it. I was looking forward to doing it together because I wanted to contribute in any way I could. And I wanted you to have confidence in my participation in this whole process. And, you know, and and from the get-go, I remember being impressed by Emily by her knowledge, but also by the way in which she presented it. She was very approachable. She was very down to earth. Uh, she was not so crunchy granola woo-woo that red flags went off, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was also based in data, based in research, based in science, you know. But she had a, an excellent way of presenting the material in a way that was it was easily understandable. I also enjoyed being with the other couples in the room, you know, all in this strange new wonderful phase of life and getting this information at the same time and processing it at the same time and dealing with all the same kind of emotions and hopes and fears and that was my impression Mm. you
0: yeah I loved it I have a vivid memory of thinking I think I'd love doing this work that she's doing (laughs) (laughs) And and yet I hadn't even given birth yet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It was a really strange thing for me because I had never been passionate about birth at all. But I do remember that moment and just enjoying every minute of that fairly long series. Wasn't it like three hours each and eight eight classes, I think? Eight weekly classes?
1: That sounds about right. So
0: I think it was like a total of 24 hours or so that we spent in that class. And we felt really well equipped. And I always say in my classes I truly believe that if we had not learned some of the strategies one specific strategy but more than that really coping tools all kinds of things in that birth class that I truly think that that our son would have been born via c-section which I really had hoped to avoid and, and we know that you know we're glad we have c-section if we need it but that way too many c-sections are done in our country mm-hmm. and so many of them are actually avoidable and I think Emily's classes really and her strategies that she shared with us helped us immensely mm-hmm. in having the kind of birth that we had hoped for. And that's a huge reason that I got into this birth work is because I want to see more people have that kind of experience and be, feel equipped and feel confident. Yeah. So, well, I guess you want to talk about anything else about our pregnancy before we jump into the birth story?
1: I would say just one more thing about the class and the value of it. We learned a great deal in the class. And by spending time every day or every night going over what we had learned in class and going through, particularly the relaxation exercises and visualization, through all that, we were developing a shorthand with each other, Mm. figuring out with each other what works you know, what, what helps you the most, what kind of communication, what kind of uh, physical interaction is most conducive to your being relaxed. And we were also getting ourselves in a frame of mind. I mean, the class and going over the material and talking through it together outside of class helped put us in a, a positive, calm frame of mind. You know, we had this base uh, knowledge of a basic understanding of what is normal in this process and so we were prepared to not be panicked
0: mhm mhm absolutely and I hope everyone just heard what Brian said because I did not coach him to say any of that, but that is so valuable. And I always encourage students to go home and do, you know, massage techniques, comfort measures, techniques, relaxation exercises together and to have conversations that are going to lay that groundwork. Get your mind in a great place to have so much of giving birth is a mindset thing and to get together, get into a really confident, calm mindset is invaluable. Not to mention doing those relaxation exercises and the regular massage is just physically relaxing the pregnant Mm -hmm. person's body so that she can go into labor that much more easily. As you were saying those things, Brian, it also reminded me of labor support and how we learned about professional labor support called a doula when we were pregnant Mm -hmm. and um, the process of hiring one. Do you want to talk at all about the benefit for you of hiring a doula?
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's something that I don't know that I would have done or necessarily would have even thought of. I guess through our friends, we would have heard about using a doula and it was probably something that was more on your radar than mine. But I guess after taking the class, we were both really impressed by uh, the value of having good support, extra hands and knowledgeable, knowledgeable hands. Is that a thing? <laughs> um, on hand. Uh, lots of hand references. Um, <laughs> and proved to be hugely valuable. We ended up having Adula and your mom there mm-hmm. for the birth. So th- this was two people helping us through this experience, who were familiar with the whole process and who were able to provide support to you and uh, to both of us from, you know, everything from uh, helping with food to, you know, your mom ran a couple of errands here and there. Our doula helped, you know, leading up to the point where we needed to go to the hospital. She helped us understand when was the right timing for that and when was good timing for that. She was helping keep you calm and relaxed. She was helping me help you, you know, <laughs> stay calm and relaxed. She, she had her eyes on details that I would have missed. Things like, uh, you know, does she have a favorite candle or something? Can we bring that in here when she's, you know, in the bathtub? Music, do we have music? And, you know, just little details that she was able to keep track of. And she also, she was able to uh, keep track of how you were doing and how I was doing, she actually at one point had me, before we went to the hospital, she had me go take a nap. Did you know this?
0: I forgot that or didn't know. I'm not sure. Yeah.
1: Well, while you were in the bathtub uh, laboring and I was puttering around trying to figure out what to do at one point, you know, when you were in a, a good, relatively good place and had what you needed in order to be able to to be laboring in uh, the bathtub she pulled me inside and said this is a good time for you to get some rest i will get you up when i need to get you up but get rest now because you you know you'll need your energy later and so i i don't remember how long it was not not very long but i was able to just close my eyes for a little bit and she came and got me when it was time to move on to the next thing and make sure that we were ready to get to the hospital so all mm. of that was hugely helpful and uh, I, I would absolutely recommend, you know, having uh, knowledgeable, calm support on hand. If it's a family member, that's great, but not all family members are prepared uh, to to be helpful in that situation. Your mom was wonderful in that she just wanted to be helpful, and she was fine with kind of hanging back when she needed to hang back. Hang back.
0: And she trusts birth. She trusts right. the process. She has right. great confidence. In the woman's ability to do it, which was huge,
1: right? So she wasn't bringing her anxiety about birth into the into the situation,
0: which I admire so much. Because as a mom, having a daughter, I just hope that I'll be that calm. Mm-hmm. But I can see how that could be really tough as a parent. Mm-hmm to see your child going through, you know, some intensity, some really strong intensity. All right. So moving on into the birth story, we talked for quite a while before actually getting to the birth story.
1: We haven't talked about this
0: in a while. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. Got to catch up. Mm. (laughs) So let's see. I, my mom had arrived a few days before we went into labor and she had a return ticket. She was going to stay for about a month. But she had a garden to get back to, so she wasn't going to extend her stay. And so after a few days, I started to get a little antsy because I felt like, ah, I really want to maximize the help with grandma there. So the day before we went into labor was Mother's Day. How fitting. Mm -hmm. And my mom and I went into Manhattan, and we went to church at Redeemer Presbyterian Church on the Upper East Side at Hunter College. And I think you must have been—were you working? I think you might have been working. I went
1: to work that afternoon.
0: Okay. Yeah, because I do remember you weren't with us. And so then we went and walked uh, through Central Park and saw all the beautiful spring flowers because this was May. And saw daffodils and tulips and it was really beautiful. And then we took the train down to the Chelsea Flatiron District and went to some flea markets. And we just really painted the town red, so to speak, that day and walked a lot. And that was very intentional because I was like, let's get this party started. And we, by the time we got back to our home in Forest Hills, where we lived at the time, by that afternoon or evening... I kind of tried to tally up how many blocks we must've walked and It was like at least 50 ish blocks. Here I am like full term pregnant. Mm -hmm. And at this point I am about 39 weeks, I believe. And the next morning I wake up and we were not early risers because we were working late nights. When we worked at the investment bank, we used to work until about 2 AM. And so I woke up at 10 30 and you you still didn't wake up till about noon that day I didn't want to wake you up but I did wake up with some contractions and I thought maybe this is it maybe I'm in labor do you remember anything about when you woke up
1: I don't was it really noon
0: was it that late I wouldn't have remembered that but I was reading the birth story and I details and I think that it said you got up around noon I'm looking back at it right now
1: yeah. I know I, I had, didn't
0: get up till 1030 and you still weren't up.
1: Well, let's let's say that I had worked extra late because I was trying to <laughs> put funds away for the baby <laughs> and not that I was just lazy and or ignoring <laughs> all the cues from my very pregnant wife <laughs> who might need my assistance.
0: As I was reading the birth story, I was like, people are going to think we're such slumps, like <laughs> we're sleeping in till 1030 and later. <laughs> It was a different time. So I thought I needed to give a little explanation there as to why we tended. That was just our regular routine, not getting to bed till three, sometimes four or five in the morning. Yeah,
1: because we would regularly work until uh, 2 a.m.
0: Minimum, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so what did we do? Once you woke up, we eventually took a walk to Stop and Shop. Mm -hmm. which was just a few blocks from our house. And I have these just moments in my memory of like stopping on our street. So there were just, uh, given it was so close, there was just our street. And then we turned right and it was just a, a couple blocks down that way. But I remember stopping during contractions and like hanging on you and just kind of like in slow dance kind of position. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember specifically being on Union Turnpike with all these cars going Mm -hmm. really fast by us and just thinking, I wonder what people are thinking as I'm just hanging on my husband standing here on a sidewalk, (laughs) you know, and then also thinking, who cares? Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, some people, if they even paused to notice us probably thought that jerk is making his wife walk to the store. She is very pregnant.
0: We should have had a a sign that said early labor strategy. (laughs) As if anybody would even (laughs) get what that meant. (laughs) What we were trying to do was ignore things as long as possible, facilitate progress by by staying active. Right. Mm -hmm. We were planning for me to go home after that and maybe take a bath, bubble bath. You had actually suggested that because I guess we learned that in class. Mm -hmm. So then we eventually got back home And I took a bath.
1: Now, on the way home... I don't
0: remember a whole lot, honestly, about this time.
1: I think, what uh, was it on the walk home that... uh, Was that when we bumped into Marilyn? Yes. Our neighbor, who was a retired nurse.
0: Or maybe on the way there. One of those, yeah.
1: She was out walking with her granddaughter. Mm -hmm. And she kind of looked you over and saw how you were doing. And she said something about... Within the next 48 48 hours,
0: hours. (laughs) (laughs) which I thought I love that in retrospect, even though I don't remember how I felt about her saying that Mm -hmm. at the time, cause that sounds like an awfully long time, (laughs) but I, I appreciate that she said that in retrospect because these things can take a long time when it's the first time Mm. 18 hours on average. And yeah, for, for some people, it does take a couple days. So thankfully, it didn't take that long. It did take over, you know, 20-ish hours, but not 48, thankfully.
1: So we made it back home, and you got in the bath. And at what point did we call the doula?
0: It was, I think, early afternoon, maybe. I don't know. You can read our birth story to check the time. (laughs) It's okay. We don't have to say the time. But we did check in with her at some point, and she, I think, recommended that I take a bath and drink some fluids. She said drink like 16 ounces. I went overboard and did like 40. She said those are two good tests to see if you're actually in labor and or to slow things down to get more rest too. Uh, although I had gotten a really good night's sleep, thankfully, as as good as you can get at that point in, in your pregnancy. It gets harder to sleep at the end of the pregnancy because the baby is so big, you know, getting big and, and it's just getting more awkward. But But I did get a good night's sleep, so I was really grateful for that. Although I think I did try to go back to sleep and just take a nap after the bath, Mm -hmm. just to really try to square ourselves away for a healthy labor. Because, you know, we had learned in class that once things get to a certain point of intensity, there ain't no sleeping anymore. So, um, yeah. So then, one of the first, besides the walk to Stop and Shop, one of the only things that really sticks in my mind is then in the afternoon things getting stronger and my getting on the exercise ball Mm -hmm. i assume that's something that emily had recommended
1: that sounds like something she would recommend
0: (laughs) i think she even sat in on one in class as she taught maybe yeah maybe i I can't remember
1: why else would we have had one around the house no
0: we wouldn't have i remember shopping for one because i remember looking up my height and like buying one according to my height Mm -hmm. and specifically when we were pregnant Right. So yeah, so I remember rocking back on and forth on the ball, and remember that feeling really good, and banging on on something that my birth story says on my leg, even though I've been teaching that I bang on the armrest, and I'm I'm thinking maybe I did both. Who yeah, knows? Probably back and forth. <laughs> but that rhythm really felt great, which is instinctive for a lot of women in labor. I've learned since then. And then just keeping going back to that every contraction was really helpful, as, along with some kind of vocalization, some, uh, I always call that my caveman voice, cavewoman mm-hmm. cave voice.
1: Cave person. Cave, cave person.
0: person. <laughs> yeah. And do you remember anything surrounding that? Like, were you massaging me during those? Or I don't remember. I,
1: yeah, I think I was trying to give you a little back rub here and there as you seemed perceptive to it. Um, but mainly just kind of hovering nearby to see what was working for you or, or to be ready if, if you needed me to get something to eat or something to drink or turn on some music or turn down the lights or just kind of being nearby but not in your way. And and I, I was trying, I recall, I think, um, trying to time things and Something about the way my brain works, I I find the timing of contractions very confusing.
0: Well, as do 99% of people yeah. <laughs> in labor, because almost no ones are totally textbook.
1: Right. And yours were irregular even at that point, right?
0: Yes. It was a really close spacing, three minutes from the beginning of one to the beginning of the next, yet the length of them was 30 to 45 seconds. So that's really confusing because three-minute frequency seems like active labor, but 30 to 45 seconds seems like early labor. Hmm. So that's why, I mean, early labor can be really erratic that way. And in retrospect, I wish I'd realized that an erratic frequency can often be indicative of a posterior baby, which is a head down but with the back against the mom's back. And we just didn't know that for many, many hours later. Even though I had... Determined that I thought that baby was in that position. And I had even told our doctor that she just was kind of like, oh, don't worry about it. He'll, he'll rotate, babies rotate. Even in labor, they can rotate out of that position. But he didn't. And I had learned from birth class about this great website called Spinning Babies, which I now promote in my classes. It's all about optimal fetal positioning. And I, um, there's some really wonderful resources. Highly recommend that you check it out if you're an expectant parent listening to this. But I had tr- hopped onto that website and had tried some proactive things to get him to rotate, I guess none of which had worked. So we, but we didn't discover until close to the end of the labor, after many, many hours of back labor, feeling a lot of pressure in my back, which is also a symptom of a posterior baby. But yeah, that frequency would have been an early sign that baby might be in a position that's not quite optimal and quite going to lead to an efficient easier labor shorter labor so we at some point we got on the phone with this was maybe later in the evening you got on the phone with ellen our doula and uh, shout out to ellen <laughs> and she heard me vocalizing yeah, kind I, of high right you remember yeah that? I, I
1: put so i i held the phone up to you while you were in the going through a contraction maybe i don't know I don't know if it was just one, but so that she could hear how you were working through it. And she encouraged me to remind you to try to keep it lower uh, vocally and try to keep it a little more grounded and not go into that higher, tenser place. So I tried to, I think maybe a couple of the ways that we had learned in class to help with that were... Modeling where I I actually make a lower sound mm-hmm. to, so that you can hear that, but also something like touching your feet or your does that sound at all? Yeah, familiar?
0: yeah. I did not remember this at all. I teach about that in class that holding a woman's feet or touching them can really just be very grounding.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But huh, interesting. I didn't remember that that was a thing that was done in for me in my labor. So let's, are you saying you, you did that or are you saying that's just one of the options that you learned in class?
1: Let's say that I did that <laughs> because I had learned it in class.
0: <laughs> there you go. Good student. Hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I, I in labor, we often just don't have the bandwidth to have that awareness that like making a high tone is draining you of energy and is really tense. And there's a real direct correlation between the the level of tension or relaxation in your throat and that of the pelvic floor. And the pelvic floor muscles, the muscles inside the pelvis, need to relax and let the baby down and out. So we need to, and that that may sound really like an odd concept if you've never heard of it before, but it's a very true one that we know biologically to be true. And so making that high-pitched sound was counterproductive in more than one way. So I was really grateful that just to have our doula on the phone with that awareness and that expertise to to help you to coach me into mm-hmm. a more relaxed, productive way of vocalizing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So then things were intensifying over time, right? And eventually, do you remember anything before Ellen joined us?
1: Well, something that you mentioned in the birth story and, and writing it out was that I, I appeared to be calm from the moment you told me that you thought things were progressing and this was it. <laughs> and uh, there was probably some acting going on there, but <laughs> um, but,
0: Good job to, to
1: come back to, you know, the value of the class, whatever sense of calm and readiness I had was largely a result of all the preparation we had done, not only sitting in the class, but going through that material together and talking through what what we thought was gonna work and what you know what might not and what was gonna be best for you and, and just thinking through the day together and, and having an understanding between each other about what the normal birthing process was gonna look like. That had us in a us both in a calm, positive, prepared mindset so that even when you hear those words, even when you said those words and when I heard those words, I think this is it. You know, we we together were able to keep each other calm, take it one step at a time, not get ahead of ourselves. All that to say, we were both in a place, mentally, where we could help each other stay in the moment, not get ahead of ourselves, not panic, be excited, but be as relaxed as possible and uh, looking forward to what was coming next.
0: Hmm. Oh, something just popped into my head about early labor. In class, we had, uh, I think we had an assignment to come up with our early labor activities, much like I do with my students. And one of the things that, I don't know, really stuck in my mind that we didn't use but that we had at the ready were a bunch of episodes of Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> I just remember that, and I, I kind of wish I had been in the mood to watch some comedy and to laugh because that was one of my goals in labor was to laugh, and which I did some. But you prepare, and then you only use the things that are useful when the big day comes. But
1: I I do think it's, it's important. I think part of the value of preparation, you know, the more you know about what to expect, the more you know about what the normal process looks like, the more prepared you are to roll with the punches a little bit and not be too thrown when your plan Mm -hmm. isn't going the way you thought it would. You can't, you know, you're not getting to everything on your list. Well, that's okay. Uh, You know, let's just deal with where we are. And mm-hmm. I think that helped us.
0: Yep, that's very good advice. Thank you, dear. All right, so moving on to uh, Dula Ellen arriving. I was, was I in the bathtub when she arrived?
1: Yes, I believe so. Yeah, you were you really liked the bathtub. I once I did, you got in even there. though
0: it was this old, old, tiny bathtub. It still was. We call it the nature's epidural being in a bathtub of water because it is so powerfully helpful. Yeah, and that's when the candle came up, right? When she came over, she she said, mm-hmm. "Let's get a candle out." And I love my Bartlett pear, best smelling ever candle. I fell in love with pears at the cloisters. Metropolitan Museum of Art way uptown in Manhattan.
1: Had you never seen pears before? (laughs) (laughs) Only in a can?
0: (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) It wasn't the seeing of them, though, my dear. It was the smelling of them. They were Mm. perfectly ripe, I guess, in this garden at the Cloisters. And... And so that somehow just really stuck with me. And I loved when I found a candle that smelled like that memory. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that was very therapeutic in labor for me, I think.
1: Had you had that on hand just for that purpose or you had had the candle anyway?
0: No, I had found them on sale and I had stocked up on a bunch of them just because, Mm -hmm. because I loved it. But it was, it was really nice for labor. Yeah. And then at some point, mom went and got pepperoni pizza. We sent her on an errand to go get pepperoni pizza that's not on the recommended foods list for labor but it was perfect
1: it was good and it was close it was just down the block yeah Mazzaro's. yeah Uh uh-huh
0: yeah so eating pizza in a bathtub (laughs) there's a new one (laughs) but it helped Hmm. one thing i do remember feeling in the bathtub was a lot of that back labor and I wish that I had been more vocal in expressing that I might have benefited from more massage from, you know, Ellen or from you. But that's my fault. I, I didn't speak up. And there's no way that you guys could have known that had I, if I didn't say anything. And
1: yeah. whatever you were trying to say, it was a little muffled by the pizza. <laughs> but...
0: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Yummy pizza. <laughs> During that time, you took a nap.
1: Yes, at some point in there. I guess because it was clear to Ellen that we had a a window within which I could get some rest before it was going to be really time to head to the hospital. Yeah. She she was able to determine that when she arrived.
0: That's awesome. That's so golden. Mm -hmm. Yeah, partners need a nap. We don't know how long we're going to be doing this. So I'm so glad that she had you do that. Oh, we didn't mention that I had created a six-hour or so labor mix. I also had a pushing playlist, um, which we didn't use, but we did use the labor mix. So that was playing in the background.
1: So your pushing playlist, that was more like up-tempo, yeah, like, like rock. Uh, I,
0: have the, I don't know. I have the tiger or like, I don't, yeah, pump you up, really like upbeat yeah, the, kind like of stuff. Your, yeah.
1: your gym, yeah.
0: <laughs> gym kind of mix, yeah, right.
1: Gym music, yeah. <laughs>
0: Victorious. I thought you said Victoria's, like, Victoria's Secret. No. Victorious.
1: Victorian. Victorian music. Victorian. Um.
0: (laughs) And what's so interesting about that is I really thought that music would be very important, and maybe it was in my subconscious, maybe it was, but I have no recollection of actually hearing that music. That always surprises me so much because I thought it would be really important. Well, and I
1: think it probably was at a subconscious level.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you're right.
1: It was important to your body,
0: <laughs>
1: even if you weren't expressing it
0: mm-hmm. uh, verbally. So then, do you remember how we decided to head to the hospital? I mean, I think it was partially that Ellen kind of said, "I think it's probably a good time at some point. Plus, like interfacing with Doctor Re or Doctor Dr. Obi mm-hmm. over the phone. Mm-hmm. Some.
1: Yeah, it was. We I know that we had we had touched base with Doctor Re on the phone. She wanted to be sure that we understood that if we came in and you weren't at a certain point in your dilation, that we would need to be prepared either to go home or to stay nearby in the neighborhood of the hospital. Mm -hmm. But we were really relying on Ellen, I think, to a large part, to give us a sense of when to head in.
0: And that was a big reason that we wanted to hire a doula, one of many reasons was that I felt like we wouldn't labor at home as long as we needed to, because at this particular birthing center, I had to be five or six centimeters dilated before they would even let me in, because they only had like three birthing rooms in the birthing center, so very limited capacity, and so you had to be pretty well advanced. You had to be in active labor to be admitted. And I, I just was so concerned that I was like, how are we going to know? We've never done this before. And mm-hmm. having a doula, a doula is much more likely to have some sense of when it's actually time to go when it's when we've labored at home long enough. So I thought that was a really invaluable team member to have mm-hmm. for that, among other reasons. Uh, so the hospital transfer, I remember wearing my seatbelt, which I always tell students if you're comfortable not wearing a seatbelt, don't be a law-abiding citizen because that's the like most uncomfortable way to, to sit. And I, I was holding my bum up off of the seat the whole time because it was so uncomfortable. All those little or big potholes and speed bumps oh, felt excruciating when the baby's head is sitting on the cervix and you're having all these contractions. Mm. So I was sitting in the back and mom was driving, right?
1: She was driving. Now, is that something that you recommend, uh, having, uh, if, if the plan is to get to the hospital by car, do you have a recommendation as to, you know, having a friend or a loved one be the driver if possible, as opposed to a cab or an Uber?
0: I think it's a really personal decision and not everybody's going to have a family or friend mm-hmm. to do that driving. I, it's, it's something I probably should bring up to really think about that. Are you going to be in a state of mind, partners, to be driving? Because I remember that you said, I really would rather someone else drive, right? Didn't you? You weren't comfortable. You really didn't want to have to be driving.
1: Right. And, and it, uh, I, you know, I can't remember exactly my my thought process at the time, but I'm pretty sure that I was fine with having your mom drive because, not only because I was confident that she could get us there, but also that I was confident that she, as the driver, wasn't going to be freaking out about having a birthing woman uh, <laughs> in her car, right? So I wanted to be able to focus on you and not have to focus on the driving, but I also didn't want to have to worry about the driver. Uh, so I think that helped make that decision
0: mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. I do always say if somebody's getting a cab, as as is really common among my students here in New York City, for the partner to go out and prep Mm -hmm. the driver before the laboring woman ever gets out there. Just go out there, tell them the situation, tell them there's no rush, especially if it's the first time around. There's no rush. Please take your time. Don't be heavy on the break. Don't be too nervous. It's all good. We're calm. Just because the fewer logistics the laboring woman can be around, the better for her hormonally and for her labor progress and for her stress levels. So that's often a preferred alternative for a lot of New Yorkers anyway.
1: Meaning that having that conversation outside of the woman's woman's hearing is going to protect her from some stress.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that is something that I I recommend. So mom drove and you navigated, right? With me doing a little backseat driving.
1: (laughs) Uh Yeah. Yeah. I guess what would that have been that you, uh,
0: we were approaching an exit at one point, I think, and I was like, stay right, stay right, or whichever way it was. Yeah. I I was afraid she was about to not go the right way, and I really wanted to get there. Right. <laughs> I do remember that. I also remember vocalizing some and singing. We're people of faith, and I, I, I found myself singing some worship songs in the car, and that was really, really, really helpful, and just kind of gazing out the window probably in between, I was probably singing in between the contractions, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. not during, but I honestly don't remember which it was. And did Ellen drive behind us or was she in the car? I cannot remember.
1: She was in the car. I, okay. I'm pretty sure so she was in the, back, was in with the back with you. And then once we got to the hospital, you and your mom and I went on in and then Ellen parked the car.
0: Ah, uh, yay. That's so great to have somebody to do those logistics for yeah. you. That is something I, I always bring up in classes. Um, make sure you know, is there valet parking? If you're taking your own car, you need to know that those logistical pieces just so that she's not left alone with the luggage to get up to triage. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we got to the hospital, and when we got to triage... I remember that there was a little concern she wasn't, that Dr. Ree wasn't seeing a lot of movement on the part of the baby. He was probably just sleeping, which, because most babies are sleeping most of the time. So, another great doula trick, use of having a doula's expertise there was she had me drink some Gatorade um, to to wake you. So, something sweet will help wake the baby up and help you get through triage faster. Also, during that time, I remember that I threw up which made me kind of hope I was in transition, which is that last part of progress that you have to go through before you start pushing the baby out. I thought I was hoping we were a little further in the process than we were. Although I was really encouraged when we were told you're seven centimeters dilated, which meant, yay, we can get into the birthing center. We don't have to go home or or like go walk in the dark in the middle of the night because it was after midnight when we got there, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sounds right.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. And, um, we didn't have to get a hotel room, yeah. that, that was a, that was a good bit of news.
0: Mm-hmm. And so we got eventually got admitted into the room once she saw enough movement on the part of the baby, and got into the birthing center. Got a picture with Doctor Ree in my frumpy hospital gown, which did not stay on much longer. So mm-hmm. it was good we got the picture when we did <laughs> have a decent photo. Um, and then what? I got in the tub. I, tub was my favorite laboring place in, the, in my first labor. There was mm-hmm. a bigger Whirlpool tub in the birthing center, which was so nice. And you guys kept feeding me and helping me stay hydrated and fueled, I think.
1: Do you remember, I, I, I want to say we had some dried fruit, like dried pineapple? Oh
0: yeah, I ate a lot of dried pineapple and then the pepperoni pizza. Those are the two things I remember eating a lot of in labor.
1: <laughs> but we, did, we didn't take the pizza into the hospital. Oh, oh I mean, no no no! Right. In, the, in the birthing yeah. center, all we had was yeah, I don't remember the dried fruit. Well, and I, yeah, and they let
0: you eat in the birthing center, so yeah. we could have eaten whatever we wanted to. But I honestly don't remember anything but the dried pineapple.
1: Yeah, <gasps> yeah. That and and uh, yeah, we kept giving you water regularly.
0: And when we got admitted into the room, you and and Ellen did a really great job of setting the scenery like setting everything up in a way that was conducive to laboring well right I remember a really obnoxious smell of bleach when we got into the room and that she pulled out her lavender oil have no idea what she did with it because I was so inward at that point but whatever she did got rid of that or masked that bleach smell and I was so grateful and then Uh, I don't know what all you were doing environmentally, but I know you had your your Uh, different tasks.
1: Right. So I got the music going. I I either switched out a light bulb or plugged in a light that we had brought of some kind to change the lighting. I saw that in the notes, and I
0: was like, I don't remember. I don't remember exactly what that was was
1: either. But we did something to try to minimize the the fluorescent uh, fluorescent light that you (laughs) hate.
0: So then things got more and more intense over the next few hours and Dr. Rhee came in and did an exam and said she seemed to think that things were stalling and that was not what we wanted to hear. And I was feeling like I was at the end of my energy and just really getting to the end of myself. And in those moments, she said, I recommend transferring out of the birthing center upstairs for Pitocin to help things along and for epidural because she perceived that I was kind of suffering in my pain and she thought I shouldn't have to deal with the pain anymore.
1: So about what time was this? Where, where were you in terms of having arrived at the hospital after midnight, shortly after midnight?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this was around 4am. And so I'd been Having really hard labor for a number of hours. Even like before we got to the hospital, it was quite hard labor for a number of hours. So this was from you know 10:30 a.m. I had woken up in labor to 4 a.m., less than 24 hours, but I was really getting to the end of myself. And um, so what did we do? When she gave that recommendation, my mom said, My mom was like, Why are you recommending the epidural? she can do it. I forget how she said it, but that was kind of the sentiment. And, and Dr. Ree was like, well, because she's in pain. And she just thought it was the humane thing to do. Mm. And at that point, to be quite honest, I was really thinking maybe I'm gonna need that. So we remembered, either we remembered strategies we learned in class to ask about our options, what are the alternatives, or Ellen, suggested asking about alternatives. Do you remember? I don't know, remember which it was. But either way, we asked, uh, or you asked, is another alternative to artificially rupture the membranes because my water bag of waters hadn't released yet, hadn't broken. And so she said yes. I guess it wasn't her first go-to or else she would have recommended that. But she actually started to almost do it. But then you said, wait, 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 can we have a minute of privacy? And that That is the strategy that we learned in birth class, that I was a game changer. To ask everybody to leave the room, to not think that just because if and when your care provider is recommending some kind of intervention or action, that it's an emergency. Even though we often hear it in a very urgent tone, it's not an emergency because if it was, they would just do it. You can ask if it, you know, if you're concerned if it sounds like it's urgent, ask, is this an emergency? But um but it, we knew in this situation it it wasn't urgent, and Brian smartly asked for some privacy. So everybody left the room, our OB, my mom, our doula, and we just had a little space and privacy and time to process this and try to make a decision that we would feel hopefully good about on the other side of birth. I remember kneeling outside the Whirlpool tub. I was done with the whole water thing at this point. Wouldn't help it wasn't helping anymore. And and you were kneeling next to me, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And we were just kneeling there. And I think we even we prayed and we talked. And I was really struggling with this choice. And you were everything I needed you to be. You were really supportive. I'm sure that was, I would think that was hard to know how to best support me in that time. To be like, oh, honey, I think an epidural is okay. You know, like, I don't know. You, you were, you, but you were, the words you said were exactly what I needed to hear. They were just very supportive of whatever I thought I needed to do.
1: I was really glad that the suggestion had been made to us in our class that in a moment where you have to make a tough decision and it's clearly not an emergency, ask everybody to leave so that you can talk through this together, think this together, have a moment together. Because having even just one other person in the room, even if it's a person who's very supportive and loves you, it it adds a different dynamic to that moment of making this decision. And I think it was helpful for both of us, but particularly for you, to have the freedom to express what you needed to express. And I was the only other person who was going to hear what you were expressing. You didn't have to prove anything to anybody. It was really just about the two of us trying to come to what we felt was going to be the best decision in the moment for our child and for you without outside pressure.
0: Mm -hmm. So then we had that processing time and at some point I started to stand up. I don't even remember if we had made a choice at that point. I don't know that we had. I was still struggling, I guess, and I just, maybe I was uncomfortable and just started to stand up. I honestly don't remember the specifics of that moment, except for this huge thing that happened then, and that was that my bag of water is released, broke. I like saying released, because mm. <laughs> nothing's broken, mm. <laughs> but but broken is the known term. So yeah, I had a gush of fluid, a little pop and a gush of fluid, and oh my goodness, it's amazing. that That is the moment in which I got how so much of this giving birth process is mindset and mind-body related because the second that that visible sign of progress happened, suddenly I didn't need anything. I didn't need the epidural. I had a total, the biggest second wind that I've ever, of energy that I've ever gotten in my life. I was like, I don't need your epidural. I don't need the Pitocin. Progress, yes! <laughs> right, honey? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that moment? It was amazing. And, yeah. yes, you, you want to say anything on that? It's okay. Yeah, yes. uh,
1: to, uh, uh, when everybody came back into the room, <laughs> I think there was some suspicion <laughs> that we had done something yeah. To to rupture... <laughs> the the bag right
0: my mom thought that ardula was in there with us and that she had done something i totally forgot that until i read the birth story notes but then like dr ree thought that we had like done mm-hmm. something we are like no we promise it was just mm-hmm. this like miracle that happened cuz it's just the irony of like the fact that The very thing that you brought up like can we do this (laughs) we didn't mean can we do this (laughs) we meant if needed can our doctor do this (laughs) no way would we try that but it just happened so that was not the only benefit that privacy that space that time but also simultaneously out in the hall our doctor had some processing time and she started to put some puzzle pieces together And she had kind of a light bulb moment and and started to realize, I think I know why her labor is stalling. I think I know why it's not progressing in the way that we normally see. I think it's because her baby's in posterior position. So she came back in the room with a whole strategy to get me on the bed in this most awkward of positions, but very effective of positions that I now use in my doula work. It's called the knee chest position. And you can find out about it and see all about it on the spinningbabies.com website that I will link you to in the show notes. And so it's with your face and your shoulders on the, um, on the in this case, it was on a pillow in the bed and having your but stick it up in the air. That's the highest part of your body kneeling. And it was so awkward. And you usually have to be in that position for about 40 minutes for it to be effective at rotating the baby into a better position. But it worked. It totally worked. And I while I was in that position, I was starting to get the urge to push. But Dr. Ree had said, you're not quite fully dilated. You're not quite fully effaced we need some more progress to happen in that regard before it's safe for you to push before too long like from you know i said 4 a.m was when i hit that wall and but then progress happened and then i mean he was born by 6:30, 30
1: mm-hmm.
0: so within two and a half hours he was born after that and without any interventions whatsoever. Oh, one thing I want to mention is that when I was in that knee chest position, the thing that a lot of us are fearful about happening, pooping in front of everybody, totally happened. And it was really no big deal. (laughs) In hindsight, it was no big deal. But in that knee chest position, that's the most awkward of places to poop in front of everyone. (laughs) Because your butt is like, hello, here I am.
1: (laughs) Were you conscious of it?
0: I think so. But it was like little rabbit pellets because most of us are so constipated at that point in pregnancy that it's like, that's all it is. And the baby's head is right on the rectum. So there's hardly any room for anything to come out. So.
1: (laughs) And the nurses are right there and they just, they take care of everything. It's not a big deal. They deal with this all the time. There's no, no shame, nothing to be embarrassed about. It's just part of it.
0: And and your partner is not usually down there. You usually talk about where you want your partner to be when you're pushing. But usually it's up by your head where you want them to be. And and so that, that makes it all better too.
1: <laughs> I recommend for the partner, particularly if you're somebody who has an aversion to blood, like I do, uh, and if you have any concern about getting lightheaded when stuff starts to get real in the, in the birth, then it's a good idea to be up by the woman's head and face so that you can... <laughs> be saying encouraging things and reminding her of your presence and reminding her that you know we're almost there and the baby's almost here and you're doing great meanwhile you are focusing on something other than the bodily fluids that might cause you to pass out (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) very good word Uh, so as pushing started, once we got the sign off, once she said, yes, you're 10 centimeters, you're fully effaced, you can start pushing whenever you're ready. There was some talk about what positions I could be in. Eventually, I instinctively found myself on the toilet. And that is a magical place to be, my friends, for a laboring woman because you're in a supported squat. And when you have your a baby's head pushing on your pelvic floor, especially at their their lowest station, which is in pushing, It just feels really kind of awesome to have no pressure pushing upward. And the kind of muscular coordination that's required for pushing is exactly what you're having to do to effectively push this baby out. So your body really associates muscle memory, connects muscle memory with geography, location. And I found that that's just where I effectively pushed in both my first and my second labors you will hear more about that second one later but at some point in pushing on the toilet my OB came to me and she's like Lisa you're not I'm not gonna catch this baby on the toilet get on the bed I've been doing this 20 years get on the bed on your back and you know that's that is the most preferred among uh, OBs in a hospital setting it's the most preferred position and yet most women do not like being on their back in the bed even if it's not flat you know usually it's a semi-reclined position a little bit inclined but the second I got on the bed because I just didn't have the fight in me to say no to it the second I got on the bed I just lost that muscle memory my body was just like disoriented and like how do I do this I don't poop in the bed at least not in my adult life so uh it was it was a really bizarre thing but I just wanted to meet the baby, and she was being pretty opinionated about that and, you know, saying, I know what I'm doing. Trust me. So I did. And, and you know, he was born not too much later. I think I pushed maybe 45 minutes or so before the baby was born, and that went pretty easily. There was a lot of coaching happening. Because I felt disoriented, it kind of, uh, I felt like it removed some of that instinctive nature out of it.
1: Mm.
0: I think I was feeling that urge to push. How do I not remember that? I know I felt the urge to push the second time around. Yeah, no, I did. I was having the urge to push. I'm just not remembering if I felt the urge to push as much when I was on my back in the bed. But she was doing that long count of 10, hold your breath, bear down, all of that that's so traditional in our hospitals. Part of me wishes that I had had the strength in me to advocate for me to be in some other position because I, I do feel like it could have felt a little more instinctive and easier had I advocated for that. But I just, you know, you have to pick your battles in those moments of what what really, really matters to you. And I just wanted to meet the baby at that point. So when the baby was born, the baby came to my chest, right? Mm -hmm. And you cut the cord Uh, a few minutes later. um, We got breastfeeding off to a good start. Started the skin-to-skin. And our doula was really helpful in helping support getting breastfeeding going. What else do you remember about right after the birth? I remember feeling really emotional.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it's overwhelming, and it's of course it's a beautiful moment. You feel such. You're in awe of this new life. You're in awe. I was I was in awe of my wife and what you had done and all just your strength and your perseverance and and the promise of this new life the the adventure that awaits you together it's, there's so many enormous thoughts packed into into your mind in this in these very few moments you know the first moments that you you see this person this person you've been talking to and been feeling
0: we called him little fella didn't we little
1: fella <laughs> it was it was amazing and, you know, time seems to slow down for a moment. And then it picks right back up because there's still a lot of activity going on. People milling around the room and, and, and taking care of whatever they're taking care of. And then after cutting the cord, I remember it was all good. I was all fine. I, I, you know, you were being looked after and you had Grayson on you. And so I took a moment to kind of step away from the bed and step away from the activity around the bed, and then I made the mistake of looking w- at the placenta oh. when they when the placenta was delivered and they were carting it off.
0: Oh no! Um,
1: I shouldn't have looked at that. That was the only moment where I had to take a seat and gather myself. It was a, a little too little too much blood. Uh, <laughs> For me to be comfortable. And then we were ready to eat. Everybody.
0: Yeah, I wanted a big breakfast. Somebody had told us, like, get the takeout menus or something. Be prepared to order a big breakfast, hearty breakfast, because you're going to want that after you give birth. And I, oh, that was awesome. That was such good advice that we got.
1: (laughs) We got a pretty good spread. I, I don't remember where we got it from or how it got there. Did we have it delivered?
0: I think so. Yeah.
1: But a a nice big breakfast with eggs and French toast and fruit, orange juice. Yeah. Which sounded
0: really good for some reason. (laughs) Yeah. That was nice. And then we were, because we were in a birthing center, they have early discharge. You're not there as long. So we actually left about 13 hours later after his birth. We left like it's in the seven o'clock hour that evening, I believe. And in this birthing center, it's so nice because there's a big double bed, or maybe it was a queen size, I don't know, but it's not a hospital bed, it's not a twin size bed. So we were able to just conk out a couple hours after birth. When the baby fell asleep, then we all three just were in bed together, you know, sleeping and recuperating. And that was so special. I'm so grateful that we had a birth environment that was conducive to that. We had looked forward to it and we were really thankful we were able to use the birthing center, that being one of several reasons. We just were feeding the baby, getting to know the baby that day. And pediatrician came around and did a little hearing test and a few other things before they sent us home. And then I remember as we were leaving the hospital, it it just struck me as so strange that they make you be wheeled out in a wheelchair. But that's a hospital policy thing that most hospitals are going to make you go out in a wheelchair, even if you don't want to, even if you just want to walk, if you feel fine and want to walk. They just do that. And, and do you remember, I remember being wheeled out to the curb, to our car and looking back and just being like that daunting, overwhelming, like, oh my gosh, we're responsible for this little human being.
1: Yeah. You're letting oh. us go out into the world with this <laughs> Are new person. Are you
0: sure you want to do that? Because right. I don't know if we're capable of this.
1: <laughs> it's like, it's like NASA has dropped you off on Mars with the most expensive piece of equipment ever developed and no instruction book. And as they're lifting off and, you know, flying away, leaving you there, somebody just waves and says, you'll be fine.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So just know that in those moments, you are not alone. Every parent who's ever given birth before you has had that bizarre feeling, really daunting feeling. (laughs) I was like, what? But you can do it. You are your baby's best detective. You're your baby's best advocate. You have instincts that are going to kick in. And you won't always know what you're doing, but none of us does. And you figure it out, right?
1: Mm -hmm. That's right.
0: (laughs) So do you have any other thoughts you want to share before we sign off?
1: I remember something that my dad said to me when you and I were talking and thinking and praying about when to start a family and when to start trying to have a kid. And my dad said, if you wait until you're ready to have a kid, you'll never have a kid. And so in a way, you're you're never ready. And when your child arrives, you're as ready as you need to be Mm -hmm. in that moment. As you were leaving the hospital, were you thinking back over the birth? Or were you not looking back at all and just thinking about what was ahead? Do you remember?
0: Wow. I have no idea. But what I can say is that women remember their experience of giving birth more than almost anything else in their lives. So that we're, we'll always be processing that. Even though I don't remember that specific moment, what I was thinking about, we will always be processing those experiences of giving birth. In fact, I heard a story one time about a woman who had Alzheimer's and the only thing that she seemed to remember was her birth stories or a story. I don't know if it was one or more. And I just thought, wow, that's remarkable that it's such a huge life event that I think it's just so important that we protect that and think intentionally as we are expectant parents about how to protect that, how to create as much as we can a life experience that is going to be exciting to remember and encouraging to remember. And I'm really grateful that I was able to have two birth experiences that I really am so fond of remembering and that really set us off on a, a really encouraging road and an empowering road where we felt like if we could do that and that went so well it, we just we can do anything we can do this parenting thing that it really gives you that confidence like not much else will yeah but at the same time to know that if things don't go you know according to plan that it still can be a positive experience it doesn't have to be a negative or, you know, worse yet, a traumatic one. So that's my two cents on, on that. Do you remember what you were thinking on the way home?
1: Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> just hoping that we got the car seat in correctly.
0: Probably. Probably. You kind of have to just be in the moment. Once you become a parent, it's like every moment's different. Everything's changing all the time. So just being in that moment present there is going to be a really important strategy, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And there's a sense that this is so much bigger than I am. And that is a beautiful, teachable moment.
0: All right. Well, I think we'll end it there. Thank you, Mr. Brian Taylor.
1: Thank you, my beautiful wife.
0: So there you have it, folks. Our first baby's birth story. On the next episode, you'll hear our second baby's birth story. And boy, is it different. Here's a little sneak peek. You were already in bed. I was about to get in bed. And I felt another different contraction. And I turned to you. I said, are you ready?
1: And I replied something like, I don't think we can ever be fully ready for this, but I'm so glad to be having another baby with you.
0: Until next time, we'd be so grateful if you'd subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a thing. Thanks for listening to the Birth Matters podcast and be well.